0: Andrei Bogoslavsky from New York, greatest city, April 1st, the Fool's Day. You know, it's a Fool's Day all around the world. I remember in Russia, in childhood, it was also Fool's Day. Interesting. Why do we think April 1st is a Fool's Day? This episode will be at the followers' request what is my opinion, or what is my take, or what is my rather knowledge, I don't have opinions, I have knowledge, I have a lot of knowledge, okay, and I'm sharing it uh, with you, I'm being very bold about it, I don't hold any strings back, shit, this bath is really hot, well, we got 20 minutes to fool you, are you ready to be fooled, April 1st, uh, because it's uh, 12.30, so it's after midnight what i'm like to talk that the follower requested that i compare classical art he called it traditional, Uh, it should be called classical art, because there is a a definition uh, in 19th century we developed this this definition of classical art because impressionists came to the scene, and before the impressionists there were these guys who who were painting in a studio but they moved to the villages small towns, and they were making little sketches with cows and chickens, who the hell cares about cows and chickens in France, in the beginning of 19th century, you know, <clears throat> France in the 19th century was a cu- cultural capital of the world. So the school was called Barbizon. Barbizon, it's like, after a Romantic period, it was people, uh, intell- intellectuals, philosophers, artists, poets, were returning to the roots, like villagers and simple men, and even Nietzsche, you know, was so inspired by the simple men in the village, and they, they, they're so pure blood, and they're so good people, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. So, when impressionists came to, came to scene, in 1870s, I would say, uh, by the mi- big, big means, because of the development of uh, a tube for artists, the pe- oil paint started to be produced in these very thin lead tubes. so the, the artist can go outside, actually, doesn't need to have a studio. The, the 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 artists impressionists were broke most of them they didn't have money to rent a studio so they would uh, take a little box with paints and a canvas and go to the park and paint in the park because the paint is uh, tr- can be transferred you know in these tubes that we have now made out of plastic or aluminum but back in the 19th century they were made out of very thin lead and new colors were developed, so this is the Impressionistic Revolution, but as a subject matter, Impressionists uh, continued this idea of uh, going back to your village roots, to the land, you know, grassroots, I think they call it in America, I couldn't understand what they mean, grassroots, 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 so... um, the, the follower requested, you know, how we can compare classical art. What is classical art? You know, let's start from the beginning. I always like to start from the beginning. So, uh, the latest paleontological, uh, anthropological discovery in Morocco dug out a sculpture, actually limestone carved by someone in a soil layer 500,000 years old. There were no Neanderthals in Morocco. Neanderthals were in Europe. So it was Homo erectus. There was this guy, you know, straight, walking bipedal in the past nine years, but he was pretty much hairy monkey with a very small brain. He was a hunter. He was, he had, they had language, I understand. But they, 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 we didn't think anybody would carve a human figure. Venus, you know, a very fat lady, uh, 500,000 years ago. Oh, my God. So this is the latest archaeological discovery. Not very different. Well, it's less polished than the Venuses we know, from, from, from uh, Stone Age in Europe, 40,000, 30,000 years ago. Those were, like, much more detailed and worked out. So the, the, the one from Morocco is pretty rough. So we always would like to ask a big question. What was this figurine? Was it pornography or was it some kind of fetish, some kind of spiritual goddess or some symbolic meaning? Well, there is something important to understand about art. It's it's an extension of language. Let's say uh, humanoids are having language in the past two million years and it develops, it evolves. Neanderthals had as sophisticated language as ours, so that's cool, so the uh, symbol, uh, let's say, I come to the cave and I paint, uh, I don't know, three crosses, right, and nobody ever heard of Jesus 40,000 years ago, but, uh, and I tell people, these three crosses, it means the three mountains outside, when you come out from the cave, you see these three mountains, and they look at me like I'm fucking crazy, right? <laughs> and I'm trying to explain, I'm trying to put my best. No, they don't get it, they don't get it, I'm a crazy guy. Fine, so the next drawing I'm making is a giraffe, okay? In Africa, let's say we're in Africa. I'm making a giraffe drawing they look at it they look at it my family you know there are like 20 of us extended family in a cake, and they say fine that looks like a giraffe but it's not really giraffe because you can't eat it it's not like we killed it well this is the giraffe that stands for the giraffe we killed last week and this is to remember that big feast we had last week so you understand so the symbol of a giraffe becomes a tim- timeless symbol of an event. So basically, this drawing itself, the giraffe, is, a, is an idea of a giraffe. It's not a fucking giraffe, right? Like you look at Mona Lisa, it's, it's an image of XYZ. It's not an actual woman, you understand? So, so you can't like fuck her or anything, you know? You can't go out on a date, you know, unleashing your fantasies because you're a fucking schizo. That, that is possible. Quite possible. <laughs> so, this water is so hot. So, basically, let's compare the meaning of symbols from history, including classical art. The concept of classical art developed in the 19th century because there was a big movement in academia, in art schools around Europe, especially in Paris, to, to sort of develop a style resembling Raphael. So they were called Neo-Raphaelites, you understand? It's like New Raphael School. Throughout 19th century, if you wanted to get into Academy of Visual Arts, exams were pretty rough. And this is the exams I went through in St. Petersburg, Leningrad at the time, in 87, to get a stipend to go to Spain. Soviet scholarship, not Stephen, and, uh, and I passed it, I passed the practical, so so I was drawing like like this 19th century academism, you know, the anatomy, perfection, shadows, perfection, rhythmic lines, perfection, building the muscles, you know, something between Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci, because Leonardo was making shadows with his finger, he was smooshing the lead pencil, and Michelangelo was making mostly out of lines, little lines, bigger lines, thicker lines. He was not using his finger to smoosh to make a shadow. So, uh, So this 19th century school gave us the definition of classicism. The father of all classical art is a French artist, Poussin, Poussin, the 18th century. He was painting uh, mythological scenes. You know, his paintings are all over the world, but most of them are in, in, in France. He was painting mythological, biblical scenes. He was huge. He was here at a studio with 20 students for 40 years. He was making a lot of money. So there were... So this is how we learn, basically, the principles of composition, of color, saturation. He was a great painter. He was a great painter. He was the most outstanding, the most, uh, the brightest star at the time, okay? All other artists, they sort of don't match up. To his magnitude, to his uh, size, and uh, the the images, the the symbols, the ideas depicted in his paintings were mythological. What can I say? Biblical, mythological, because that's what sold. So uh, what? So the, everything else, uh, everything before impressionists, before impressionists, was designated. Uh, where art, where painting, must, must, absolutely must speak about ideas. If this wealthy, wealthy guy wants Gainsborough to to paint his portrait, well, he wants his hand to be situated on the right hand. It will be a big book, like a Bible, or let's say it will be a Copernicus book, you know, or Galileo book to show that he's so smart, that he's studying mathematics. So dude, the 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 portrait of this guy with the book on a Galileo hand on a Galileo book is an idea. Okay, he's wealthy. He's showing his clothing, his jewelry, his dog, expensive dog, and then his uh, his books, right? And the same goes for Rembrandt. You know, when he painted, he did paint a couple homeless people, but uh, most of his paintings, even those later age, are are biblical scenes. Biblical scenes because his mother was very religious, very Christian, and Rembrandt continued study of Bible to to the rest of his life, and some of the stories became very meaningful to him personally. But besides being biblical stories, Rembrandt developed this very, uh, very coarse very sophisticated technologically, but very coarse brushstrokes and textures. And he was a master of chemistry, technology. So he knew that certain colors will vanish with time. They will turn darker. And what will be left is this goldish, yellowish, brownish, with some white spots here and there, but all the greens are going to disappear, and all the reds, most of the reds, might disappear. So he sort of Knew how his painting is going to look like in 300 years from now. So so we we can compare all this this historical art throughout ages. Let's take uh, Egyptian art. What the hell were they they, they were doing? They, they were not very creative, you know. You you basically you're a 16-year-old, you come as an s- assistant to this guy who is chiseling human figures on a, on a limestone rock, on a flat wall because you're building a tomb of a pharaoh. You have ten years to build it, you're getting paid in beer and bread, sometimes fish. They were getting paid well. So but in food, not in money. They didn't have money. So and, and you are studying, and while you're studying, you are not told what Bogoslavsky tells you: open your mind into infinity, create from the bottom of your heart. No. In Egypt, your master tells you the human figure is a uh, nine nine heads tall. So you take a width, a height of from the chin to the top of the head and then Eight more heads to the bottom of your feet. And this is how tall human beings should be, regardless if it's a midget, if it's a pregnant woman, doesn't matter. This is the standard for human being. If this is an important dignitary, of course he needs to be bigger than his slaves, or I don't know, his assistants. Does it make sense? Yes, it makes sense, logical sense, you know, back then. To us, it appears like like a pattern that, that is more um, uh, based on social relations, beliefs, you know, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, this is their religion. They, they live their whole life in order to pass on to eternity. They need to live a proper life by certain rules, and there is 286 magical spells, Egyptian Book of the Dead. That you need to remember by heart and recite it after you die. But many people didn't learn it, didn't obey it, didn't live like that. They were assholes and drunks and gamblers and killers and thieves. And they would buy a scroll of Egyptian Book of the Dead. And it will be included with their mommy allowing them to pass on to eternity, so there are all these magical beliefs, like next Pharaoh comes to power, he says, you know, I really hated my father, he was such a drunk and abusive idiot, let's chisel off his faces, not just faces, no, forget about faces, let's just chisel my name instead of his name, under the sculpture, and that's what they did, and if there is no way to chisel off his name, they just chisel off his face, and put my face on there. and let's rub his, 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 his burial, you know, all the gold is there, what a stupid gangster, stole all the gold and took it to his grave, so things like that, so, so people lived a uh, different lifestyle, they had different view of their environment, Universe, you know, universe in Egypt was created by masturbation. The universe was created by masturbation of one guy I forgot his name and he created everything and after that you know the land was created the the waters were created and all the gods were created blah 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 this is what they believed okay Christians believe for 2,000 years that the the world the planet earth life everywhere is 5,000 years old That's what people believed, you know. Now it's very hard to convince those people, those um, religious uh, Christian fanatics, Midwest, that the world is, you know, 4 billion years old. The planet Earth is 4 billion years old and bacteria wasn't. So now we know better. We know more about the universe. So it opens our consciousness, so the stars when we look at them, they're not dead kings, okay they're stars, just like our sun they're just very far away and it became apparent just recently just like you know 200 years ago well 200 years ago you know villagers in Russia they didn't think stars are uh, stars you know you know it took time for the whole planet uh, public education to teach kids and adults the the, the planet earth is a, is a globe my grandfather in Russia uh, died in the beginning of the 80s uh, at the age of 80 he he didn't think the planet was a globe. For him, planet was flat because he never left his village. He never went further away than 30 miles from his village. Okay? And he raised 11 children. And, uh, you know, so the, the the consciousness, the the perception of reality had changed over time. So for instance, before we got photography, black and white photography in 19th century, portrait business was booming. Oh my God, it was booming, booming, booming. And there were artists who were just learning learn how to make portraits. They had no idea about landscapes or anything else. They didn't follow their passion. They were, they were manufacturing portraits, okay? That was their living. I don't think they were making a lot of money, because look at at some portraits, they're just ridiculous, like handicapped faces, but that was before photography, for a good 200 years, you know, some some small bourgeois was already, you know, uh, of substance, had money to order a portrait from an artist, but when photography came, you know, black and white photography, uh, things changed, you know. Suddenly, only, only royalty was cared about making a portrait. Well, some new, newerish American money, even in 1920s, even in 1940s, were making portraits, huge portraits. You know, these oil, rubber barons, steel barons, they were ordering portraits, big canvases. You know, his wife and this dressed with corset in 1930s. Who the hell wears corset in 1930s? So, the world had changed, because the way uh, Romans, for instance, Roman Empire, were thinking about the world they live in, Mediterranean, that was the, the world. There was nothing else. There were no Americas. They knew a little bit about China, but it's unimaginable what China was, still come from China they believed in many gods, and when you believe in many gods, you start seeing forces of life, such as Aphrodite, it's all about sex, reproduction, attachment, love, but not motherhood. Motherhood is a different goddess, is the wife of Zeus, uh, of Jupiter. So, so the perception of reality and your understanding and the artwork they will be asking to make, because artists were working, working for nobility, for wealthy people, as it is today, okay? Who can afford real art? With people with income more than half a million dollars a year, anybody who makes less than 500,000 a year in the United States can't, can't afford original art. This is why uh, Andy Warhol and other bunch created a movement in, in art in the United States called Pop Art, Popular Culture Art. And they presented it in a very specific format and they insisted on having reproductions especially silk screen reproductions, because silk doesn't get used up. You can print 10,000 copies and copy the last copy will look exactly like the first copy. So there is no usage of a metal plate like a traditional printing technologies, such as metal printing technology, the graphics. Uh, so it's a different angle and approach to to art. And any time new idea, how to present ideas of life, philosophy and poetry came to surface, like now we have NFT, now we have artificial intelligence, AI art, and we don't know where it's gonna lead us, you understand? I, I'm being bombarded by inquiries on Instagram. Hey, you, I wanna buy your art as NFT. Uh, I feel I feel it's some kind of s- s- scam. If you have, if you know anything about it, please send me a message on Instagram. So I'm not getting involved so far. So what I'm trying to say um, in 15th century, uh, in 1400s, uh, people were painting, you know, uh, weeping Jesus and Jesus all covered with blood, going to 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 crucifixion. That's where that was. Because church was the biggest sponsor, there were no individuals, no wealthy people asking to paint portraits. It was only in the time of Leonardo da Vinci that portraits became sort of a source of income for artists. But also, you know, at the same time, church was the biggest sponsor, Leonardo painted uh, uh, two wall paintings. Uh, the adoration of the Magi he left her in pencil and uh, the last Supper that fall apart soon after he died so the the whole format and the purpose of art in ideology, what it represents, what should it talk about, changed. I am painting cosmology for 20 years and I'm searching for answers about origins of life, astrobiology. The word astrobiology didn't exist 100 years ago. Nobody was asking the craziest question we're asking today. Is it possible life originated in outer space in the gas clouds and nebulas inside of asteroids, comets? Is it possible that, that, you know... um, uh, pieces and bits of RNA and DNA came to planet Earth from very, very far away. Is it possible? You understand? So, so I'm painting astrobiology, like bacteria floating in space. Two thousand years ago, you know, they, they didn't think outer space is actually far away. They thought there's some kind of balloon cover with painted stars on it, you know. They, they had this idea that the universe is pretty much planet Earth. They didn't think there, there, there's, there is anything else. They couldn't explain those planets rotating around Earth, and <laughs> not Sun. So the the concept of reality was very different. So this is why their artwork had much simpler messages. And if we look back to cave paintings, Lascaux, Altamira, in France, in Southern Europe, in Pyrenees. They, they painted animals that's all, that's all they were thinking about Because to, to, to get food for your family You have to sort of go hunting for three days And if you're lucky Come back with you know, some meat And carry 20 miles back to the cave So it takes a lot of effort To provide food so people had no time to, for no spare time, and if somebody barely, you know, has time to make a sculpture of Venus and let it be goddess of maternity, because women were dying in childbirth, by the way, and child mortality uh, was high, as high as you know, eighty percent. Most of kids were dying before turning teenagers. So from you know, infections, bacteria, I don't know. Violently, and they ate each other as well. We know that. <laughs> so, what I'm trying to say, you know, 40,000 years ago animal was their god i mean this buffalo feeds them and they're grateful that buffalo allows them to kill this buffalo so all they can think of is buffalo they're not thinking about astrobiology they're not thinking about going back to nature like in 19th century barbizon school and impressionists no they're not thinking about it (coughs) so as the direction of human fantasies had changed so did so did artwork, because art is always an expression of contemporary ideas, desires of our society. Some artists are capable of projecting what our society will be desiring 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So we, we say this artist was ahead of his time, which means during his lifetime such as Van Gogh or Bogoslavsky, society refused to accept his forms of expression, refused to accept his subject matters and the way he paints it, forms of expression, because they didn't think it has any relationship to their everyday reality. You know, the world is preoccupied with, with war. There are like wars everywhere. In Europe, in Afghanistan, in Syria, there are people killing each other everywhere. People are starving everywhere, kidnapping children in India. Oh boy, so there, there are more, you know, things that, that are current affairs that people are foc- focusing because media also exaggerates, not exaggerates, but they're certainly abusing specific points of view. They, they're sell- upselling you some ideas to encourage the Congress to take certain action, and they fool the Congress, and they fool American people. We all know that. Politicians are corrupt. I never met a non-corrupt politician. And I, you know, dealt with politicians since my high school. So what I'm trying to say, the best you can do as a creative person, as a creative artist, is to take a journey of self-knowledge. Because if you're going to be speculating about current political events, if you're going to be even speculating about origins of life, astrobiology, if you're going to be reflecting on... Buddhism and Hinduism, and compare it to Christianity, and reflect it in your art. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. But the best journey, the most, the most, uh, the most, uh, the most, uh, the most uh, gratifying journey uh, in human life, in you as a creative person, is a journey of self-discovery. Ancient Greeks said it for thousands of years: "Know thyself." How do you get to know thyself? Like what? It took actually. Write a diary and then read it ten times? Basically, the mechanism of self-discovery, Socrates pointed out, unexamined life is not worth living. Basically, every day you need to be conscious of your actions and your words and what are the implications of your actions and your words. So you basically, you're not shy, you're bold, you express yourself, but your words and actions, they... They need you need to analyze them like in the end of the day or the next day, you need to reflect, did I say some garbage and she's really pissed at me, maybe maybe, so do you oh sometimes people will be pissed at you just because you have a red hair you know. All kinds of shit. So you you can't control what people, you know, gonna be pissed at you. So but self-examination and self-discovery, this is a true journey of a creative soul in the beginning of twenty-first century. It's a combination of meditation. Self-analysis, like methodical self-analysis, analysis of your artwork, developing every painting further and further. N- don't be in a rush to get it out into the gallery, get it out to the pa- to the people before you photograph it, before you put it on social media. Please hang it on the wall for six months. There is no rush. Examine it, look at it a million times. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe that that blue should be green, etc. So, examine yourself and develop your intuition. This is the best recommendation I can give. So, this is part one, and I will need a few days to think about part two, how historical art, how not traditional, classical art, and the relationship of what we see in the galleries. Part two will be more about really focusing on contemporary installation art and conceptual art. Why is it there? What kind of shit is this? They glued a chair on the ceiling. We're going to talk about that and the relationship to classical art. Thank you very much. And I will be using my page from Instagram, one of my three pages, as a cover for this episode. Please follow.